0: Hi friends, in today's episode, you are going to get a live video that I did on social media. And this is all about uh, terms that therapists use, as you know, and I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. It's kind of a fun, a little bit more lighthearted conversation. And there's also a lot of information in there, but just wanted to give you a heads up. There's going to be moments where I say, um, You know things like if you're watching live, push one, or I might reference a comment from somebody in the video. So um, just wanted to let you know that that's what's going on as you listen today, but I'm really excited. So let's dive in. Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. Hi guys, how you doing? So tonight I wanted to share with you some terms that we use in the clinical world amongst therapists that I recently realized apparently don't get used a lot. So. One evening recently, I was with my husband and my daughter, and we were just hanging out. It was towards the end of the evening, almost time to get her ready for bed. And I noticed that she started displaying a lot of acting out behaviors. And so just sort of offhandedly, I said, oh my goodness, she's decompensating. We got to basically indicating we need to do something about this. And my husband looked at me and he's like, what? And I said, "She's decompensating." What? What are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, "Is that even a word? What are you making up words now? What, are you the new dictionary of the day or something?" And I said, "No, of course this is a word. What are you? What, are you, what do you mean? What are you talking about?" And um, so we got into a little bit of a back and forth until eventually we Googled, um, and decompensating is. In clinical terms, uh, a time and opportunity when somebody's just losing their faculties, losing their moment, they're having a meltdown. So anyone who's been a parent to a young toddler or a parent of a toddler knows there's that moment when the meltdown happens. You're at the social event and you try to push it and stretch it as long as you can and eventually... That child cannot hang on anymore and it's crying every two seconds at the drop of a hat. So that could be considered decompensating in that moment. And um, so now it's sort of turned into an inside joke between my husband and I because um, whenever something is happening and somebody's losing it and I think we even have moments like that as adults where we're getting hangry or irritated or tired and frustrated and we're just not exactly thinking clearly or have the patience to hold ourselves together Um, that can be an indication that maybe we need some more rest or food or whatever it might be in that moment so that's a fun term that I use from time to time to indicate different things another term that I use is called perseverate so when you see it written down, perseverate, it has the word perseverance in it. And in psychological terms, perseverate basically means inappropriately focusing on one term. It's a repetitive behavior or action. And it's really helpful to be aware of in case you have a loved one who is doing something like This is really helpful for, for diagnostic purposes. But I think we often can get stuck in our moments as well, too. We can often get hooked on something and not really want to let it go especially when we're arguing there's just some people that you know that just like to stick to their point and they don't let it go and they keep hammering at home no matter what happens and everyone around them is completely exhausted and just you just know that person will not budge that can be a certain type of perseverating another word um, that gets used often um, in therapist circles is catastrophize Or catastrophic thinking and that's a tendency to exaggerate negative consequences of somebody's decision I think we've all kind of had our moments of catastrophic thinking where we exaggerate so it's one thing to exaggerate and embellish a story for our friends and say oh my goodness you know this person almost ran me off the side of the road could you believe it you know what could have happened That's definitely an exaggeration. I would say catastrophic thinking might take it a a level further and say something along the lines of, you know, I was my life flashed before my eyes. I was calling home to say my goodbyes. I was, you know, making sure I had texted my attorney, made sure the will was good to go. Um, So you might have that tendency to automatically jump to the worst case scenario. And I think catastrophic thinking comes up a lot in families. Couples, especially when they're arguing, they have a tendency to catastrophize or have some catastrophic thinking patterns about their spouse, When they're especially when they're frustrated. And that can look like accusing somebody of always or never doing something, right? They are always late, or they are never help cleaning up around the house. And so I would say those are some catastrophic thoughts. And where does that lead to as, as some type of consequence for the relationship? Hopefully not. But that would be something to definitely be aware of. This is definitely not helpful in parenting either, right? If you have catastrophic thoughts about your child um, and how well they're doing developmentally or how kind they are to you or helpful they are with chores around the house, that's clearly not going to be something that's going to be helpful either. Another term that gets used a lot, and this one's a more popular term. I've been hearing it been used a lot more lately is ruminating thoughts many thoughts is similar to perseverating it's excessive repetitive thoughts more than it is behavior so there might be themes that um get repeated in someone's mind and you can see it frequently if somebody's living with anxiety or ocd i think also that can be something where we're just overly worried overly thinking and again there's it's one thing to be worried but it's taking it to a whole nother level and so thinking about those moments where we might have thoughts that are trapping us and keeping our minds from being open to learning and more receptive about whatever might be around us whatever conversation we're engaged in or whatever whatever activity we need to complete in that moment the next term is I like to say I talk about a lot of times when somebody gets flooded and flooding indicates when we get to a moment a state of arousal called diffuse psychological arousal diffuse psychological arousal more or less means that our bodies get to a place where we're no longer able to engage in a normal social interaction a normal conversation because our heart rate is elevated when we hit that level of a hundred beats per minute our adrenaline's pumping, the blood is flowing. Our body is essentially getting into fight or flight mode, fight, flight, or freeze mode. The frontal lobe of our brain is no longer engaged. We're not; It's not working. We go back to that reptilian parts of our brains and we're just reacting. We go into survival mode. And that can happen even in moments when conversations get really overwhelming. And so what happens when we get into that flooded state or diffuse psychological arousal, we check out of a conversation. There's no way to continue or be effective at all in a moment. And so a lot of times this can cause some tension between couples, especially when there's some type of disagreement because somebody might get to a place in that argument where they're no longer effectively able to process the conversation in their brain And so they might check out. That could look like turning on the TV or just leaving the room altogether, and that can offend the other person of basically saying, why aren't you listening to me? How can you walk away? That's so rude. And so it's important, I think, to really be aware of those moments when we do get flooded so that we know that it's not to be taken personally, that biologically speaking, there's a lot of things happening within us, physiologically in our bodies. And so to recognize when ourselves or our spouse gets that place and saying, Oh wow they're really flooded let's pause this conversation give you that opportunity to have the time out rec- calm down recollect yourself slow the heart rate do some breathing prayer whatever you need to do in that moment to calm down so that we can re-engage in the conversation later another term I really love to use is called triangulation and if at any point you feel like you know what some of these terms mean by the way please feel free to <laughs> chat and comment and say what you think it means before I reveal the answer but triangulation is when, uh, particularly in a couple's situation, um, married couple, it's when one of the partners goes outside of the relationship to talk about something that's really upsetting to them. So say, for example, a husband and wife get into an argument and the wife decides to vent to her sister about, oh my gosh, he said this, I can't believe. And so that is That is the term triangulation because you've now brought in a third party into the relationship. You've gone outside the relationship and instead of talking to your spouse about it, you've gone outside and involved a third person. Now that doesn't mean that third person has to come in and gang up on your spouse or anything like that, but just the simple action of itself has taken away that opportunity for the spouses to connect. And in layman's terms, I would say this could be considered gossip, right? I think we do this all the time unfortunately (laughs) and um, it can really be damaging to not only to relationships but to reputations and so it's something to really be mindful of and making sure that we're not triangulating as much as possible especially when it comes to marriage and lastly the seventh term uh, that i use is circular questioning and you're gonna. There's no way you're gonna be able to guess what circular questioning means. Um, maybe somebody out there knows, but um, I have a feeling not. Circular questioning is a term we use in family therapy that is essentially the action of the therapist talking to everyone in the room. So the family they're working with in the therapy room. When I say I'm gonna do some circular questioning, I literally just say. So I'd like to go around the room right now and if everyone could tell me how they felt the week went from their perspective or tell me how you thought the argument was from your perspective. So that it's literally just walk going around in a circle and letting everyone share and respond um, to their whatever the uh, event is in question or in discussion. So those are just some terms that I thought would be interesting to discuss and hopefully give some more insight because a lot of times when we don't have language to describe something that's happening, whether it's perseverating, decompensating, um, triangulation, um, when we don't have that language, we don't have the ability to control what's going on. And so it's so helpful. I think sometimes when we can put terms on it, even though we, it can sound very lofty and odd at times to use words like that, it just really helps us know what to do in that situation. So for example, like the what I brought up in the beginning about a crying toddler who's having that meltdown or decompensating, there's a big difference between how a parent is going to respond when somebody's crying because they're decompensating or having that breakdown versus a stubbed toe or crying because they're being stubborn and trying to prove a point. And same with a relationship. There's going to be a big difference between how you respond to your spouse if they have triangulated you and talked about you behind your back to someone else, or if they're just angry because they've been hurt by something you said. And so there's a lot of different reasons why we could be angry, right? Or why we could want to pinpoint some of those things. So I think it's so important to pinpoint and pay attention and using some of those terms to your advantage as a way to help in the situation. So I hope you found that helpful and looking forward to talking to you guys next time. Um, be sure to stay in tune because we've got a lot of fun things coming your way. And I know, I know I've been telling you about the surprise coming. I can't tell you quite yet, but I'm super excited about it. So stay tuned and keep a close eye on the page and make sure you're first to know about it. See you next time. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud.